Radio presents The War Room, where we discuss tactics for strategic Christian living. Mighty Lord, extend your kingdom, be the truth with triumph crown. Let the lambs that sit in darkness Good evening and welcome to the War Room. I'm your host, Bill Evans. Tonight I have the pleasure of um, hosting what I, a man I consider to be a good brother and friend and uh, whom I have learned a lot from in the last several years since I've become familiar with him, Bo Jadarmirnov. Bo, welcome to the War Room. Uh, well, I, it's a pleasure, Bill. It's a pleasure also to be able to share with, you know, with your listeners. Uh, Bojidar, as you most of you do know, is from Bulgaria. We share a common uh, love of the sea. He was a naval officer in the Bulgarian Navy, and uh, I was a former navigator in the United States Navy, so we kind of have that link as well. But Bo is the um, uh, founder and president of Bulgarian Reformation Ministry. It's a faith for all of life ministry whose uh, 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 purpose is to plant the foundation for Christian civilization in Eastern Europe, specifically in his home nation of Bulgaria, and where the Lord has used him and his wife Maggie to be uh, really spearheading the entire Christian libertarian awareness and movement in Bulgaria, as well as homeschooling. Uh, tonight, we wanted to talk with Bojidar about some recapsulating some issues that he has um, addressed in some of his um, Acts to the Root podcast on Reconstructionist Radio as they pertain to some current events uh, pertaining specifically to charges regarding the death of theonomy. We're going to have him clarify some terms for us. Before we start, I wanted to share what has become one of my really favorite quotes as of late. And it goes like this. The name, pretense, and presumed power and authority of the church or churches have been made and used as the greatest engine for the promoting and satisfying the avarice, sensuality, ambition, and cruelty of man that ever was in the world. To this very day, the church here and there as it is esteemed, is the greatest means of keeping Christian religion and its power and purity out of the world, and a temptation to multitudes of men to prefer the church before religion and to be obstinate in their oppositions unto it. John Owen. And so, uh, Bo, we want to ask you uh, to to tell, give us your concept and you developed this in your podcast, and I would refer the listeners to go back to uh, com as well as Axe to the Root and the Axe to the Root podcasts to get more information on this. We're going to hit it fast. We've got a lot of things we want to talk about. Bo, as, um, as, as individuals within the um, abolitionist movement that's grown, uh, it, it's a, an ideology that basically says we don't regulate wickedness, we oppose it, and we call for its total eradication. And as they've sought to engage the rest of the uh, body of Christ, uh, comprised of local particular congregations around the, the landscape, they've gotten a lot of pushback, obviously, and they've got it mainly from people who are standing upon a traditional ecclesiology with with a strict 
uh, guidelines of, of of elders and and authority and uh, typically they love to always reboot back to Hebrews thirteen seventeen as those who rule over your soul <laughs> rule over you and um, and I know that you're uh, friends and you're on the same page philosophically with Stephen C Perks so I'd like if you could just sort of um, discuss the whole issue um, as you see it regarding uh, the ecclesiology of the American evangelical culture uh, yeah I uh, I would say from the very beginning it's uh, you call it traditional but it but it is not traditional that culture has been developed only in the last 50 years probably in the United States uh, <clears throat> before that uh, the church was not considered something that was, you know, limited to the, the the walls of the of the church or something that is in denomination and so on. America is actually has a long history of independent churches, of independent congregations that didn't have any formal structure. You can see that also in the uh, in, in in the very. Um, in, in the very constitution of the oldest conservative denomination uh, here in the United States, OPC, I mean the oldest surviving Presbyterian denomination. Now, OPC USA is, is, is older, but, but it's, it's not conservative anymore. So when you go to, uh, when you go to that uh, uh, OPC, it specifically says in its constitution that the government of the church <clears throat> is is uh, uh, while it is useful for the for the health of the church, it is not necessary for the existence of the church. And that has been the that has been the thought that has been the the view for for quite a few years uh, in the Protestant churches that the government of the church is necessary for its well-being, but it is not necessary for its being per se. So you, you can have a church without a government. You can have a church without a formal structure. And the church is outside of all these formal structures. In fact, if you go back to the the, the original Presbyterians and the original Baptists back in the uh, the particular Calvinistic Baptists back in the uh, 17th century, you will see that both groups rejected the idea of some sects uh, about a local church covenant. Uh, Samuel Rutherford is especially strong uh, against this idea of local church covenant because he sees in it a destruction of the principle of the universal church. Uh, a person is not a member of a local church. You cannot be a member of the local church just like you cannot be a member of a local, uh, as a driver and a driver's license, you are not a member of a local D uh, a DMV. Uh, there's no such thing as being a member of a local office of the DMV. And in the same way, you're, there's no such thing as a member of the local church. The church is universal. And when we go to the apostolic, uh, the, to the, uh, apostolic confession of faith, we say, I believe one holy Catholic church. And people tell me it's only the local church, the local church. So I'm, I'm, I have to ask them every time. When you, when you repeat that confession, when you com repeat that apostolic creed, which local church do you have in mind? And people are just stopped in their tracks. Okay, well, yeah, uh, I mean, uh, there is universal church. But the truth is there's no such thing as a membership in a local church in the Bible, and there, there has been no such thing in the history of the church. It, it, is, it has only been developed in the last 50 years, particularly in respect to the incorporation of churches, 501c3, because local churches now were looking for ways to you know, bring in more money. And we'll talk about this 
this uh, idea of bringing more money in the, into the church and into the ministry <clears throat> uh, a little bit later. So when uh, when the abolitionists are, I mean, I've read some of the stuff, and and every, not a single not a single one of the arguments in favor of this ecclesiology, a traditional argument. It is a they're all modern arguments, and they have been developed under the influence of liberal, uh, under liberal influences in the church in the last 50 years. Uh, just 100 years ago, there was no such idea as a member of a local church. You cannot find this idea in the writings of theologians or, or pastors or, or in the sermons uh, 100 years ago. It, it is all a modern thing. It is all a, a fragmented, modern, liberal, socialist thing to say that a person kind kind of belongs to a local in the local corporation called the local church so uh, every time you see abolitionists uh, uh, you know confronted with this argument keep in mind that this argument is pretty recent it's not traditional argument and it has nothing to do with the Bible it has nothing to do with the history of the church but where did the term officer first creep into the church in verbiage uh, I'm not. Uh, I'm not sure. Officer normally should mean minister. It's just another word for for minister, because office <clears throat> is supposed to be, uh, you know, uh, some some sort of a ministry. So I think it it, it came in later. But but it has been uh, the, the worst part of it is not not that the word officer uh, is uh, is used, but that people started thinking of church ministers as magisterial and you got a lot of talk today about magisterial reformers and magisterial this and magisterial that and so on but church church ministers have never been uh, uh, meant to be magisterial to be some sort of a rulers over the people they were all always meant to be ministerial that's why the word is minister that means they're supposed to be serving the people and not uh, uh, lording over them yeah, you'd, you'd think from the response and the pushback you get from the organized institutional visible church that uh, the main role of elders is to discipline, and that should be the exception. Would you agree? I mean, I, I agree. That should be <clears throat> the exception. In, in the, and by the way, uh, the discipline is not said to be in the Bible. It's, it's not given to just the elders. It's given to the church, specifically to the church. Jesus. That's what Jesus says in in Matthew 18, uh, to take him to the ch tell the church, take him to the church, not to the elders specifically, not to the session of elders. Now, when you speak about the when you speak about the um, institutional church, the visible institutional church, um, I think I think AHA needs to know what it is against. Um, most people believe, okay, here's the institutional church. We're trying to make the institutional church repent. Um, but I'm afraid this is not a complete picture, and, and maybe this is why uh, quite a few I see, I see people, you know, kind of confused. Okay, what do we do now? We have the church against us, uh, and so on. Now, I have not taken side in this debate, uh, but, but I can see that uh, most of the abolitionists do not understand what they're up against. And, and let me explain uh, to you what, 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 they're, what they're up against. Uh, and uh, what they're up against is not the church. What they're up against is a, a specific conglomerate created in the last, developed in the last 50 years, probably in the United States, that, that I call by the name the Ministry Industrial Complex. And that, con that is a conglomerate of churches, denominations, 
ministries, uh, 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 lawyers' organizations, uh, lobbyist organizations, seminaries, uh, and preachers and evangelists and all that. That is entirely meant to entirely uh, uh, focused on, on getting money out of people who want to see something done, uh, who are willing to donate to certain causes and to see stuff done and to, uh, to get money out of them by perpetuating problems. And in and, 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 and this way, you know, uh, uh, extracting more money from from willing donors. Same so, same mo as uh, charities and, and and government sounds to me. E exactly, just like government. I mean, government. How does the government make its money? How how does it? How does the government con convince so many people to give it to give it uh, their money? Uh, the way is perpetuate the problems. In in a sense, isn't it really? A, a, it's actually an application of the Hegelian dialectic in the sense that the church created the problem by its by decades of apathy. And then they then they propose to solve the problem, but they need your money to do it. Right, right. And they don't solve the problem; they perpetuate it. Uh, they they all do exactly the same thing. And and here you got to understand this is why uh, this is why uh, among all these ministries, pessimistic eschatologies are so prevalent and and so loved. And most of these ministries are not postmillennial; they're premillennial and amillennial because pessimism pays the elite. <clears throat> so. Uh, if if you if you say that there there's going to be victory and, and we can we can go for victory, then people will actually do something about victory, and they will. Uh, uh, and when that victory is achieved, then there's going to be no need for for a minister. Let's say let's say if we if we if we have complete victory in abortion, there's going to be no need for pro-life ministries. If we have <clears throat> complete victory in homeschooling, there's going to be no need for HSLDA. Uh, if we uh, uh, achieve complete victory in, in let's say, uh, against gun control and we have complete liberty in terms of guns, there's go there's going to be no need for uh, NRA. And in, 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 in this way, there's going to be, uh, uh, we don't want to kill that golden goose. This Bo, is what the ministry industrial complex is thinking. Bo, is, this, is, is this being orchestrated at some sort of spiritual principality demonic level because certainly would would you suggest I'm in and, I, and I'm, I'm interested in your true true opinion the that typical you know Dallas seminary graduate or covenant seminary graduate who is uh, trying to grow a little congregation and and, and, and and they're holding to their their confession whether it be the London or the Westminster or whatever the, are, are they conscious I mean of, of, of this of this scheme, uh, I, I don't think I don't think all of them are conscious. I think at some point they become conscious of it. Uh, they become conscious of it, uh, conscious of it when they get to a really higher level. So there's really a club uh, of, of elite preachers, elite ministers, so-called, at, at a higher level who understand the whole thing. I don't think people at lower levels, you know, are so conscious of the whole thing. Uh, and uh, when when you have when you have all when uh, and the rules in that club, the rules among this elite and all these ministries in this in this ministry industrial uh, uh, complexes, you never. Uh, rule number one is you never talk about victory. It's always, it's always the world is a fallen world. Never talk about possible redemption in history. It's always a fallen world, so that everybody who is listening to you. Uh, must be uh, must be convinced that that everything is going down the drain. The only thing we can do is kind of try to stem the tide, 
a little bit. So send us your uh, send us your money. Send send it now because <clears throat> things are really bad now, and we can never achieve that victory. But we can at least try to do something to stem that tide. So you never rule number one is you never talk about victory. Rule number two: if you have to talk about victory, you have to talk about it in a very general general vague way and 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 uh, relegated to some. Uh, unknown, unforeseen future time, but never now. Never talk about it now. And third, if you have to talk about victory, rule number three, if you have to talk about victory now, in some specific, uh, a really concrete victory in the society right now, you always talk about it as something that can be only achieved through that small professional elite of, of lawyers and pastors and ministers and preachers, but never talk about it as something that is achievable by <clears throat> by grassroots efforts by people who were never trained in seminaries or, or law schools or never have any political uh, connections or cloud and, and so on. So, so <clears throat> again, rule number one, never talk about victory. Rule number two, if you have to talk about victory, talk about it in an abstract way and relegate it to the un un unforeseen future an unforeseeable future and and three if you have to talk about concrete terms of victory always make it depend on the elite uh, so that the money uh, can keep coming and what uh, what AHA did and I've been watching this what AHA did and this is the same thing as uh, what Operation Rescue did is AHA broke all these rules basically AHA said no we can achieve victory against abortion now and there are specific ways to do it, and it is in the foreseeable future. We can actually do it <clears throat> right now if, if we understand uh, uh, what is at stake and also if we understand our, uh, our real strength. And, and third, we don't need all these big guys, big wigs to, to achieve that victory. We, we, we don't need We can actually do it with, with grassroots efforts. Uh, like the first step that was done in Texas, you, you see what they did, uh, uh, what... Um, uh, well, that was work of the Holy Spirit, no question about that. They yeah. were able, they were able to uh, just a handful of, uh, of of brothers and sisters was able to. It, what now? Whether it will accomplish anything or not is is hard is hard to say. But well, they, they were able to to get abolition abolition of abortion into the Republican plank. Correct, but nobody even mentioned it. I mean, no, none of these ministries that pretend to be you know pro life. None of them even mentioned it. Why didn't they mention it? Well, obviously because it speaks of victory, and it speaks of victory without <clears throat> these big guys. Uh, it was the same thing with Operation Rescue many years ago. I mean, this was the reason John MacArthur <clears throat> was okay with cops beating and torturing and even killing uh, rescuers on the street because MacArthur felt threat. <coughs> Excuse me. <clears throat> broke broke those rules. Basically, HA came to the market and said, uh, uh, "No, no, no, we can do it now." That that's the same thing that happened many years ago with Operation Rescue. Basically, Operation Rescue said that uh, we can we can we can finish abortion now. Uh, we can just start closing clinics by <clears throat> by blocking them. And this is where most of uh, the ministry industrial complex uh, went against them because. Uh, suddenly, Operation Rescue was telling everybody, we don't need all these big ministries. We can do the job without them. You don't have to spend money on these guys. Because uh, uh, I've talked in, in, in one of my uh, podcasts called the Denethor Ministries. I talked about all these big ministries <clears throat> that 
you know, absorb hundreds of millions of dollars every year only to preach defeat and get defeat. But but that's the, the but this is not a failure. This is a feature of the system. This is a feature of the ministry industrial complex to preach defeat and get defeat because defeat is what the what brings the checks coming. Uh, victory. I mean, if, if a person is victorious, if, if the church is victorious, people are not going to spend money on ministries. People are going to spend money on growth. And, and growth is, is, has nothing to do with, uh, you know, the, the ministry industrial complex. Yeah, I've often commented that abortion is not a, uh, for, the, for, the, for the pro-life movement, it, uh, abortion is an industry it's like cancer for the AMA it's uh, and um, what's interesting is that uh, Bo is that the abolitionist uh, AHA of course and they and they're and they're quick to point out hey we're not an organization you know we don't have a board we don't have an office we don't draw salaries we don't ask for money you can't give money to them I mean well, that, well that's the offense of, of AHA <laughs> that's the offense that's exactly what made, makes AHA so so uh, so dangerous and when when uh, the issue is not ecclesiology uh, every time all these all these guys say the issue is ecclesiology this is complete nonsense this is complete BS it, it has nothing to do with ecclesiology it has everything to do with the fact that AHA is not playing by the rules of the ministry industrial complex now if AHA had a central organization 501c3 you know and it had like a central place where other ministries could go and negotiate with some some big big wig leaders like them you know making cocktail parties and lobbying with politicians and all that stuff uh, an office within the beltway uh, and so on then then AHA would be okay I mean they are like hundreds of ministries like that but AHA came around it says no no, no we can do we can do that we can achieve that within within a foreseeable a period of time and we can do it without all these uh, all these you know bells and whistles of a of a lobbyist organization and that's what makes it so dangerous and and that's what makes everybody else because all these other ministries the ministry industrial complex has been around for 50 years and you got we get all these guys you know bragging about the you know I've had my ministry for 30 years I've had my ministry for 40 years but these ministries have achieved nothing absolutely nothing I mean uh, America has continued going down the drain and, and they keep bragging about how many years so this is not bragging this is a self-condemnation on them because basically they have been around for so long they have not achieved anything <clears throat> and here's this grassroots organization that is that is achieving victory and obviously it's a danger Bo, I got I got to tell my listeners I just had an epiphany I just had another paradigm shift moment here on the war room because I have, in fact, said that very thing that you had debunked, and that it was e that their main issue. Of course, that that is their that's their straw man. Who's your who's your elder? Where do you go to church? Where do you remember? That's the straw man. But it just dawned on me as you were elaborating on that is that it really is a question. Right back again. Follow the money. It yeah. it, it and and I don't that was hidden like in plain view, and which which. And listen, I, I I appreciate that because you know we prayed uh, that 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 these podcasts will break ground, break up fallow ground, and 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 help us 
some breakthroughs, and you, and you really nailed it. You know, what's funny is that uh, abolitionists oftentimes are on the receiving end of the scandalous charge of being cultic. But have you ever seen a cult that was decentralized? You know, cults are always have a strong leadership. And, of course, you've got Russell and Toby and some of the guys that are producing the tracks and, and, the, uh, vi- and the visual uh, ministry tools, but they don't, they don't receive any kind of a salary they don't receive they're not they're not on any kind of a board there's no organization as you said and and, and that is a threat and, and it and it um there must be a deception occurring at a very deep level among uh the quote-unquote ordained you know uh, and 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 they see aha as just uh the unwashed masses well, that has always be that has always been the case. <clears throat> you know, you got people that are the official institution. I mean, that has been the case in Jesus' time as well. I mean, people, the Pharisees looked at look at the people around and said, you know, this these uh, these unwashed common folk. I mean, uh, they they they're cursed. Well, you know, uh, Russell really, I think he gained some prominence when he. Uh, engaged and addressed Tony, who's the head of National Right to Life there in the Oklahoma State House. When these this guy, you know, these guys are they've got their penthouse offices and their six figure incomes, and and they're and and they're basically telling, hey, you know, send your money to us, and because you need us up here for you, and they go to as you said, they go to all the cocktail parties. So I think that's an interesting. I think that's a breakthrough. In, uh, in, 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 in understanding, as you said, what they're up against. Now, let me ask you this question. In, 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 tactically, Bo, um, <clears throat> obviously, I believe this is an organic move of the Holy Spirit, and he won't be frustrated by these Denethor ministries. What would you recommend tactically? And we'll move on to some other topics here briefly. But and before we do, what would you suggest tactically? What's the mindset? What are some of the things that, that you would recommend to our, our brothers who are out there on the point of the spear who are seeking to engage the, the, the culture and the body of Christ in, in, in view of the fact of what you've just said, that the real issue is that they're a threat to the Denethor ministry mentality. Tactically, what would you suggest for them? Uh, I would say I would say this: no, no change ever comes without uh, without a prior critical mass of writings. There's got to be a lot of writing. Uh, there's got to be a lot of writing, and, and no change is gonna is gonna come without it. I I know people like you know to go out there, and I, and you know, and I've been on the streets myself uh, back in Eastern Europe uh, preaching and uh, and evangelizing and so on, <clears throat> but. Uh, um, and we, we we cannot we cannot stop having this uh, clinics uh, uh, you know uh, being there picketing in front of the clinics or you know uh, si- uh, sidewalk counselors and all that stuff. But one thing we need to understand is is unless we get on the marketplace of ideas and continue writing, uh, and if if uh, we need to get to a point where we outpublish the the enemy. So if if HA uh, wants to really uh, make this movement a, a, a movement that will that will achieve uh, good results and basically uh, basically sent uh, it's uh, sent the the ministry industrial complex packing the AHA must focus a lot on producing print, printed materials 
Interesting. You know, um, and it's probably, and again, I think methodology always has to be, we, you, you adapt, you adjust, you improvise. When you encounter obstacles, you, you know, doesn't take you off your mission, doesn't take, you don't take your eye off the ball, but you, but you do all those things. I like what Gary North said in his uh, letters to Paul Hill, that uh, the problem is not abortion. Abor- the problem is that we have a culture that demands it, and we have a government that sanctions it. And since culture is is religion externalized, according to Henry Van Til, um, the question is: is how you know how do you produce a change in the culture? And what you're saying is that it's just printed material and continue to pound the culture with the message. Is that it? Uh, yeah. Well, mainly the culture that you need to pound is the church. You need to you need to continue pounding the church because the church is not the leaders that are uh, that are crying against AHA. This is the ministry industrial complex. This is like uh, the Pharisees who are in in the in the seat of Moses. Uh, now that does not mean that they that they have the the anointing of Moses. Uh, all they have is they are sitting in the seat of Moses. That's institutional power, but but that power is nothing. <clears throat> so uh, people people need to be addressed below that level, uh, and and they need to be addressed with uh, as many printed materials as possible. I think one of the reasons why Operation Rescue couldn't uh, couldn't get more uh, momentum back in those days is because Operation Rescue, to a great extent, acted like. Um, like a centralized organization, it was a legitimate ministry. It did a legitimate job, but it but it adopted a, a centralized organization like the like the other ministries, and and at some point it was kind of cut off from the rank and file people in the churches. Uh, and the ministry industrial complex was not that strong back in those days, and yet uh, Operation Rescue could not could not achieve a, a really serious breakthrough <clears throat> nationally. I think. That is one thing AHA needs to needs to understand that uh, you need to produce materials that will reach the average person in the pews, uh, and not everyone will want to you know uh, will want to pay attention. Maybe there will be 20% the Pareto rule. Maybe there will be 20% who will pay attention. Only 20% of them, 4% of the total, will act on it. But uh, but the the issue here is you got to produce those printed materials. You got to have an abundance of them, a critical mass of them, because unless you have that critical mass of printed materials, of something that the average person in the pew can read and associate with, uh, and, and you know uh, identify with, AHA uh, is gonna it's just not gonna be able to produce that change. Well, before before we move on to the next topic. Um, I would say in, in AHA's defense, I think that's one thing they are good at. They, uh, Russell and Toby, do a tremendous job of putting out powerful, emotive, visually engaging literature and pieces. And a good part, you know, they're and they're not uh, they're not just standing out there, obviously, in front of an abortion mill. They're out there pleading and preaching the gospel and calling people to. Uh, to trust in God uh, and, and and not kill, not murder, not engage in murder. But overall, I mean, these people are big. Uh, the, the abolitionists are big about literature drops and disseminating information. And they've got, I mean, Russell is, is about as good as it gets in terms of the uh, 
the visual arts and the communication. So they they put out some good material. I'm glad for that. What what the last thing that, before we shift gears is the fact that it really ought to cause. Do you think it would be an overstatement, Bo, to suggest that this ministry and just industrial complex that you've you've coined this phrase, and I think it's, it's I think it's going to be around for a long time now, is really the modern day equivalent of the Sanhedrin. Um. Yeah, or is that too harsh? Worse. No, worse? No, 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 it's actually too mild. Oh, my. It's too mild because the Sanhedrin, at least, were, were people that, you know, they made money off of off of the uh, worshipers at the temple, but they had their own business as well outside of that. Uh, I, and, and at least these people were people, you know, some kind of nobility that they were able to become rich through through being productive on the market. And then from there, bought their influence in the Sanhedrin. In in the United States, uh, ministry industrial complex, people become rich by being part of it. Bo, Bo, let me ask you this question. This will be of interest to our our listeners. How is it, and I'm not trying to blow smoke at you, or, or, you know, you're you're a sinner saved by grace, and you've, but, but, (laughs) like all of us, you know, but you have, but how is it that you have acquired, or how do you believe it is? How do you explain the fact that your perceptions and your intuitions uh, are so asymmetrical, so out of the box compared to the average believer in America? Is it because you're not from America? Because you're looking from the outside in? Is it because of the, just the the body of of, of, of information and, and, and that you've assimilated in your translation work? How does it you account for the fact that you see things so differently and yet when you, and again, I'm not trying to make you some something heroic, but I mean, you're, you're, you you want to function at, 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 at 100% of the, your effectiveness according to the gifts and abilities that God has given you, which it sounds to me like you are. But I mean, I, you have uh, you have brought forth some things and some perspectives and shined some light on, on on a number of topics that, frankly, I they were hidden in plain sight to me until I heard you say them, and then it just pow! It was like uh, you know redemption of Jacob. That one really nailed me when you did that one. Uh, I just I thought, how could I have not have seen that? But how is it that you account for the fact that you're seeing these things? Um, and, and, and most people are not seeing them, but, w- but once you present them, people start to see them. <laughs> I don't know, to be honest. I don't know why people can't see them. <laughs> well, do you think it's due to the fact that you come from the outside? Um, w- well, of course, every good gift comes from God, so, so there's got to be something the Holy Spirit has done. Uh, but, but, yeah, it, it could be a factor that I come from outside because so far I have not met a single Eastern European who lives in the United States who, when we talk, doesn't agree with my with my assessment of the ministry industrial complex, uh, and so on. And I'm I'm, I'm uh, and uh, and I've talked to uh, and, and and I have a lot of friends that are Russians, Ukrainians, uh, Romanians, and Bulgarians, and uh, Polish. And they look at the they look at the thing they see exactly the same things that I that I see, uh, maybe they, they they don't put them in, in the uh, you know in as many words as I do or or so systematically as I do but they see them, 
and they agree with me. Yeah, we see these things, and we just and many of them are flabbergasted by the fact that American Christians can't see them. Bo, do you think the American? I mean, you're, you've traveled around the world, and you're you're a, a worldly guy in the sense that you've you you speak a lot of different languages, and you and you rub shoulders with people from a lot of different uh, nationalities. Are Americans about the most ethnocentric people on the planet? Um, I, I don't know. Uh, I would say, no, uh, no, I wouldn't say they're the most ethnocentric people on the planet. I would say, uh, Americans are, uh, Americans, uh, amazingly enough, it, it didn't have, it, it wasn't like this 200 years ago, but Americans are the people who have the most, um, unnecessary and un, un, unfounded loyalty to their governments and I'm speaking about all kinds of government church government and state in the civil government so the so the the brand the variety of statism that is practiced here and endorsed and embraced by Americans is probably the most refined form of statism that's ever been anywhere in the world it, it beats right. communism hands down Right, right, right. Because under communism, under communism, people would still, people would still obey the government, but reluctantly, and and would, you know, would show it a finger uh, every time, you know, they they, they could get away with it. Uh, in America, people people are just people just go above and beyond, even what the government demands of them, uh, in 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 obeying and serving and and literally the worshiping the government, you know. And this is what I don't understand. Even even the people who claim to be conservatives, you know, with their guns and all that stuff. Okay, yeah, we're gonna keep our guns, and we're not gonna. I mean, they they celebrate Fourth of July, and when it comes to you know local cops, and when it comes to you know other levels of local government, their their local public schools, um, and so on. They're oh yeah yeah we got to do that. I just I just had somebody this morning told tell me uh, kind of scolded me for when I said, you know, it's okay if Mexicans come over here, they're hardworking people. He said, yeah, they're hardworking people, they're not going to pay taxes. <laughs> and this is a conservative guy, and I'm thinking, well, hardworking people who don't want to pay taxes sounds like the founding fathers to me, <laughs> like the spirit of 1776 to me. I mean, we need yes. more of these people. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Well, you know, I think there is a... Uh, they're not connecting that all the dots quick enough, but I think there is an awakening. The question is, is, is it too little too late? And tonight I even heard a, a, a brother sent me a, a video, an audio of a group of libertarians and liberty lovers, and, they, and they're Christians. And yet you can tell, and they have a, a reconstructionist bent, but they're still wedded to pietism. And so it, it, it it's never quite... What's the solution? Well, implementation of the law of God, which brings us to our next little topic. And that is the uh, much ballyhooed uh, assertion on some of the Facebook blogosphere that theonomy is dead. You know, uh, J.D. Hall, the self-appointed pope of the anti-theonomists, is basically saying that he... uh, Nailed the last nail in the coffin of theonomy, and that is, uh, and that is uh, exemplified and demonstrated by the fact that uh, uh, Jeff Durbin uh, recently, in a dividing line uh, episode with uh, James White, referred to himself as a general equity theonomist, which I think in some circles that would be considered as something 
less or a step back from from uh, what what I don't know what we call full blown theonomy. I don't know. And that uh, 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 Joel McDermott's um, recent book, Bounds of Love, where um, and I haven't finished the book to be honest with you. I've got it, but I haven't finished it. Uh, was the idea that he stepped away from the um, the position that the that civil government has a responsibility to enforce and the authority to enforce the first table of the law. So I, I wanted, if you would, um, not speaking for anybody but yourself, of course, uh, if you could address the issue of of of, of, of theonomy where it. Where it stands today, the, the term general equity theonomy is, and 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 what we think in terms of, or what we, you, in your opinion, speaking for yourself, what you think, uh, what what do you make of that? The general the term general equity theonomist versus whatever is full blown theonomist, and uh, the first table of the law as it pertains to civil government, and are his assertions that theonomy is dead because of these two uh, leaders. Um, perceived stepping back away from a full commitment to theonomy. Um, I I can't speak for uh, Jeff Durbin. Uh, what he means by general equity, he may mean what anti-theonomists uh, mean by general equity, which is pretty much vague equity. That means, yeah, we have the law as an abstract principle, but we have uh, the government as the government is pretty much free to decide what kind of uh, uh, what kind of action it's going to take uh, in, uh, in in different situations in a, uh, you know and, and that might be what they mean by general equity vague equity okay so do we uh, do we for example uh, do we for example execute a thief or do we cut cut off, uh, cut off his hand or do we make him pay uh, double restitution or single restitution that is left to the government? And I guess this is what they mean as uh, general. What motives there are in, in Durbin's uh, uh, claim? I guess if I had a friend like White, I would be, I would be trying to appease him. So it's uh, you know and, and kind of back off on my uh, initial commitments. Are they getting that term from the confessions? But, yeah, uh, they're getting this term of, of from the confession. When you take it from the confession, though, and when you follow what Joel McDermott developed with in, in his uh, general equity, there means general equity is like equity that is general to all the nations. That means that part of the law that is not just uh, uh, limited specially to the, to the Jews, special equity, which is to the Jews, but general equity as opposed to special equity. General equity is something that uh, applies to all the nations. <clears throat> for example, the Jubilee law was special equity. It was specifically for the Jews. It was for the land. And it was not just for the Jews, it was for the land. Because <clears throat> uh, the Jubilee law didn't work outside the land. Now, when you talk about general equity, it is do we, uh, what do we do with a murderer? Do we execute him? Do we give him chocolates? Uh, and so on. So this is the, the, the question there is we go to the law of God and we know the general equity there is what's applicable to all the nations, to every single nation, not just to the Jews, is we execute that murder. <clears throat> we, don't, we don't give him a candy or, or something like this. So, uh, so this is what general equity is. General as opposed to special equity. Special equity specifically to the Jews and general equity applicable to all the nations generally, but this general equity comes from the law again. 
it, it is not something that's outside of the law, so it's in the law. I think I think you just gave us another uh, <coughs> paradigm shift moment, epiphany moment here, is that, that, that the term general equity refers to the scope and not the depth. Correct. Correct. It is, it is still based on the law, and if you see the writings of all these people, they did go to the law, and they try to find in the law uh, those solutions. I mean, you just look at the laws of uh, some of the early colonies in the United States, and they had a law in, uh, in, in their law books. They had the specific biblical verses upon which uh, the laws were based. And you know, Joel McDermott made a, made a developed the case pretty good by by showing the influence Piscator had on on the people who wrote the Westminster Confession of Faith. So <clears throat> this is where general equity comes from. Now, uh, in terms of what Joel wrote in his book, now the focus there is on on a very small part of the book. Now, first of all, theonomy has never been focused entirely on what civil or what the civil government is is doing theonomy is much broader than that christian reconstruction is much broader than that joel developed a case uh, uh based on certain understanding which case by the way you could see some traces of it in greg bonson's uh, uh, book uh, theonomy in, uh, in christian ethics and also you can see that in rushtuni rushtuni also thought about it and rushtuni kind of struggled with uh, 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 back and forth uh, between the two so it's not a it's not something that outside the the bounds of the original theonomic uh, framework that Rashtuni and Bonson and North laid down now <clears throat> that Joel took that Joel went uh, uh, just fleshed out in words uh, what, what these guys have been struggling and he went more to to the other side is not an abandonment of theonomy He's just developing one side of it and I would say his case is for, for the specific things he's talking about his case is quite convincing now, I'm not saying I'm not taking sides in it uh, yet because <clears throat> I need to study more and I need to understand it more because uh, in, in many cases in many situations uh, we just we just go ahead with something that we perceive to be completely true without without you know uh, putting it to test. But Joel is forcing me to to put some of my uh, original assumptions to test. So I, I continue studying. Uh, so I, I can't see how this is a an abandonment of theonomy. I would say that the the difference the, the, the this this accusation against uh, Joel is pretty much. Uh, an excuse for the changes that have been happening in the anti-theonomic camp for the last 40 years. Because if you remember, back back in the 70s, the anti-theonomists were, oh, no, no, we don't go to the law of God at all. Then they would go, no, we go, but the only, uh, only as a uh, recommendation, not as a law. Then, oh, okay, it's the law, but we talk about just about the moral law. And then, oh yeah, yeah, it's it's uh, not just the moral law, but we we just talk about general equity, and so on. So they've been moving more and more and more and more towards theonomy, being unable to defeat theonomy, and now they're trying to grasp, you know, to 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 to, to grasp straws and 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 say, oh yeah, yeah, these guys are changing their position. <clears throat> Joe's, if there is any change in Joe's position, it is minuscule compared to to the changes in the anti-theonomic camp for the last 40 years. The anti-theonomic camp had a complete makeover over the last 40 years and basically in many situations they're pretty much on the position that theonomists, some theonomists defended 
40 years ago. In our context, where you have basically a pietistic uh, church and retreat where the uh, pastors will never speak a thing contrary to Caesar, then, then it's a moot point anyway. No matter what people imagine today, uh, the, the, the whole idea of, of the individual as, a, uh, as an independent moral entity, that whole libertarian idea of the value of the individual and the value of individual liberty and the value of the private individual conscience was developed by Christianity. Uh, and, uh, this made the early church. Uh, this made the early church a a very uh, a, a very dangerous uh, entity for the empire uh, from the very beginning. Because suddenly every single individual had had uh, had value and had a worth uh, to himself that uh, pagan religions were were not willing to get you know, under pagan religions if. Uh, the individual doesn't have any value anymore. Uh, yeah, I hope our I hope our listeners hear what you just said. That it's because of the Christian religion that the word human has a distinctive meaning. Correct, correct. So I mean, you can go uh, you can go to uh, uh, the uh, to, to the stars of pagan philosophy like Aristotle and Plato. And society is everything. The individual is nothing. <clears throat> now, anybody who has read Plato's Republic knows what I'm talking about. But even if you read Aristotle, who is sometimes credited with being more individualist and kind of more libertarian, Aristotle says a man, a man who doesn't need a society, is either a beast or a god. Mm -hmm. So, uh, so you cannot be human unless you're a cog in the big machine. That's what Aristotle believed. Uh, and uh, for them, humanity and collective was the same thing. We haven't, we haven't evolved much beyond Aristotle, have we? <laughs> yeah, unfortunately, uh, you know, you could see a lot of this thinking around, this collectivist thinking. But it was Christianity came around and said, no, 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 uh, uh, an individual can be human even if, he is, even if he is locked up in jail and never comes out of there, never, never sees another, uh, another living person in his life. He is still an individual. He is still human. Or, or if he's a, a even the the early ascetics, ascetics, you know that that were in the in the desert, they were still human. Uh, they were, uh, they, I mean, of course, I mean they were based on on a false understanding of uh, of uh, Christian religion, but but there was something there was something important there, and that was that the individual has worth. The individual who is not a beast and is not a god is human. Well, you know, Americans love to to uh, promote this uh, image of rugged individualism, but I think, you know, truthfully, I think Americans are f are terrified at the idea of individual freedom. Absolutely, especially especially conservative part of it. Yeah, I mean, it's it's so radical. I don't think we can even get our brain around it. We've been we become so conditioned. Right. So that that immediately that immediately made Christianity from the very beginning iconoclastic. That means no no authority could now uh, could now uh, uh, rely on uh, unquestionable obedience and loyalty and allegiance from Christians. So the Jedi mind tricks didn't work on Christians. <clears throat> no, no, because the Jedi mind tricks work only on, as you know from. From, from the movie, from the on the feeble-minded. And a feeble-minded person is the one who is either a beast or a god. But a real human who is human without the society, these tricks don't work on him. So that means that he, if he has allegiance only to God, then he doesn't have any ultimate allegiance to any earthly power. Uh, and uh, 
Uh, that means that he can <clears throat> he can disobey and he can even rebel against any earthly power that is not obeying the law of God, and that is a dangerous thing. Now, what the Reformation did is only developed this <clears throat> to a higher level, because at some point, uh, the uh, the uh, the Roman Catholic Church was deep into natural law and Aristotelianism. And remember, in Aristotelianism, the individual doesn't uh, doesn't have any worth, any value. And when the reformers came around and said, "No, no, no! Uh, every every believer is a priest," so the priesthood of all believers immediately reinstated that individualist doctrine, and basically declared that from now on, after the Reformation, there's going to be no power, no authority out there that is safe from <clears throat> from uh, criticisms and also from rebellion righteous rebellion on the side of, on uh, on behalf you know on, on the side of, of from christians <clears throat> where would you say the reformation left work undone where where, where do you think it fell short <clears throat> where it was left undone where, 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 where it was not developed well was the doctrine of the holy spirit in, on on a theological level we did not have a developed doctrine of the Holy Spirit from, uh, we had a lot of practice, a lot of spiritual and charismatic practices in the Reformation, especially the early Presbyterians and the Puritans, but we did not have them <clears throat> develop into a doctrine. And I think uh, the next thing is from there, a lot of other things followed, and that is when you don't have, like what Rashtuni says, when you don't have a strong doctrine of the Holy Spirit, eventually you develop a strong doctrine of the Church, and that's what happened. And if you have a, a strong doctrine of the Holy Spirit, you will develop another thing that is missing today and that we need to be developing, and that is the doctrine of individual purpose. Mm. That is everywhere in the Bible, we are not developing it. And uh, uh, just like Joseph Foreman, uh, former uh, Operation Rescue uh, uh, operative and a good friend of mine <clears throat> said that when he was in the church, and uh, they were talking about you know the church's uh, 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 the church's position on on the, the three governments uh, family government church government and civil government so joseph said well, there's a fourth government and that is uh, the the basic one self government and and the church basically the elders basically said oh yeah 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 we agree with that <clears throat> then continued as if self government doesn't mean anything and what we have today is we continue speaking in terms of in this paradigm of the individual <coughs> self-government, individual government means nothing, it doesn't have privileges, it doesn't have anything, whatever is left over from the other three governments is left to the individual to decide, which is, it's got to be the other way around, whatever is left over from self-government. And this concept of individual purpose and self-government is something that Rashtuni worked his whole life to develop. And yet, even in the Reconstructionist circles, we don't have that developed. I think that is a very important point that the church needs to develop and to reform itself because in, in, in respect to the individual, we still think like pagan Greeks. Uh, this is, you've dealt with this before, and believe me, as a guy who works seven days a week, I, I want to tell you that when I heard your message in Acts to the Root podcast on the Sabbath, that was a hallelujah moment for me. It <laughs> was like, praise the Lord. I always, because I said, hey, I'm not in sin. Just because I'm driving 700 miles today and I'm not sitting in a church somewhere inside four walls singing, you know, hymns. Although I do love the Trinity hymnal. I do love to be with my brothers. But you know what? 
The fact of the matter is, is that oftentimes church is one of the most disconnected experiences you have. You can be in a, in a four-wall structure with a bunch of other professed believers and feel completely disconnected. This is going back to one of your earlier podcasts. Elaborate on the concept of rest. He says, can he elaborate? This is the question Aidan McGuire asked. Can, can Bojadar elaborate on the concept of rest that he started in the Sabbath podcast? If we work through the weekend on Sunday, when do we rest and is the concept of Sabbath more than physical rest? Uh, right now, if you go to back to the law, the concept of Sabbath is physical rest, period. That was in the Old Testament. That was, uh, there was nothing about worship. I mean, the, the, there is not a single, there is not a single verse in the Bible that describes the Sabbath as a day of worship. This is a modern construct. This is a absolutely modern construct. Uh, and if you, even if you go to the Westminster Confession and to the catechisms, the Westminster catechisms, <clears throat> both of them do not describe the Sabbath as a day of worship. They, they describe the Sabbath as a day of rest, but they specifically say, all of them, that worship is on every day. There is no specific day. There is no specific time and place where you worship. <clears throat> and Rish Tuni was very clear, uh, very clearly said it uh, in, in, his, uh, in his institutes, the Sabbath is a day of rest. It has to do with work. The pattern there in the Bible is not six days of work and one day of, of worship, which is six days of work for myself, one day of work for God, basically, if you worship to, to please God. Uh, there is no such pattern in the Bible. In fact, <clears throat> what, what, what was happening, uh, uh, the, the priests were supposed to, to worship, to, 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 to do their, their work on the Sabbath. Jesus called it a profanation uh, of the sub Sabbath. So, but they were not guilty. You know, he didn't say it was not a profanation. They were just not guilty. There was a special case and we're all priests today. Um, and there is more than the temple here, but the pattern there is work, rest, and that work rest was to be was to show the future rest that the author of Hebrews says we we, we have one rest now and we are in God we are resting in God, uh, and you know and, and we gotta add the, the concept of rest is necessary for man in terms of his physical you know health. Uh, and so on, but but there is no religious obligation in terms of worship for us to go to church and to <clears throat> and to suppose quote unquote worship. <clears throat> so uh, the the New Testament view of the Sabbath, the New Testament position on the Sabbath, and this is what everybody avoids. Every single preacher that I've heard preaching on the Sabbath avoids this specific verse in the New Testament. Now now, and this is the Sabbath was made for man. The Sabbath was made for man. Or they would go, yeah, uh, it, it is just uh, what they mean is the Sabbath is made for man. That that is, it's, it's good for man to go to church, you know, and worship and sing hymns and all that stuff. Before we go, we want to give him a chance to tell you, uh, uh, how, direct you to um, the ministry that God has led him to in Bulgaria, Bulgarian Reformation Ministry. So, Bo, go ahead and, and take us out. Well... I want to say this first. If uh, if you're looking for a ministry that 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 is uh, using scare tactics on you or kind of uh, you know 
clickbait tactics like if you don't do this if you don't send us money this is what's going to happen if you uh, and or the world is you know the the world is going to hell send us money um, we're not doing that in Bulgaria we're a mission that is victorious and uh, we over the last 15 years um, in, since we started in fact I started much earlier I started back in 1992 uh, our mission in Bulgaria has steadily uh, produced has steadily built up a community of Christian reconstructionists that has a publishing house we have published a lot of books I have translated about 35,000 pages of reformed literature in, in Bulgaria and we we worked uh, uh, homeschooling is going through the roof in Bulgaria I, I was just I just came back from a conference uh, with a lot of homeschoolers we talked about homeschooling we talked about how to uh, resist the pagan the pagan state uh, through homeschooling, <clears throat> uh, we we have worked in Bulgaria with uh, the uh, uh, with the libertarian movement in Bulgaria, and I was uh, one of the founders of the first libertarian uh, organization in Bulgaria. So in Bulgaria, libertarianism, a lot of people, even the unbelievers, admit that libertarianism is is grounded in uh, at least intellectually in the Bible. So. <clears throat> There are many things that we do. We were uh, we have missions uh, among the minorities, among the gypsies, and I can talk about the gypsies a lot because because I've worked with them. I've seen uh, what the message of Christian Reconstruction does to their communities, and it's a really positive uh, thing. But but you got to go to uh, our website, and this is BulgarianReformation.com, and uh, you will see all these stories of what's happening. So my. Uh, uh, my request to y'all is, is uh, go to BulgarianReformation.com, subscribe to our newsletter, and uh, and also pray for our mission in Bulgaria. And uh, as as God as God leads you, uh, donate. We're publishing books. Uh, we're uh, helping homeschoolers. Uh, we're not doing your regular type of mission. We're changing the culture. And we have something to show for the little money that that we've been uh, uh, we've been granted by God, and, uh, and we're really responsible with the money that we work with. And uh, there's a lot, a lot of bang for the buck. So, Amen, Lord. We and we do pray that the Lord would show Himself strong on behalf of those whose hearts are truly His. In Bulgaria, our brothers and sisters, that we are, they're distant, and we tend to see ourselves as the center of all things, and yet God is making himself great throughout the world, and he loves and he's purchased these, our brothers and sisters in Bulgaria with his own blood, and we, we, and we lift them up, and we, and we rejoice that God is blessing them, that he's with them, and that he will make his name great among them. Bojidar, we thank you. We love you, brother. Uh, you are a real blessing to us here in America, and um, we'll keep you as long as we can. So, and we and we thank you, uh, everybody, for joining us tonight on the War Room. Thank you for joining us in the War Room. Please enjoy the nation's rage, Psalm Two, by my soul among lions. 